Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, Australian actor Cody Smith-McPhee on The Power of the Dog, Oscar Talk and Working with Eddie Murphy. We travel to the moon with director Tygo Sullivan and his new documentary all about, well, the moon and our love and reverence for it. And TV presenter Mary Kennedy on her favourite movie. Plus, your chance to win tickets to a special screening of Benedict Cumberbatch's next movie, The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, where you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well. Now, as half of the country were going mad about this singer named Garth Brooks coming to Ireland for a staggering five nights. Another part of the country was going mad about this. That is the unmistakable sound of John Lennon singing, I guess, a different version, the Road to Marrakesh version of Jealous Guy. And that performance, along with a lot of other stuff, is contained in the wonderful new documentary Get Back on Disney Plus, which has landed uh, since Thursday. The three very long episodes. It's coming in at not not much under eight hours. What this is, is 50 hours of previously undiscovered footage of the Let It Be sessions. If you're a Beatles fan, you will know that the Beatles went off to Twickenham in 1969 to record a possible TV show, a documentary, and possibly a concert and an album, a live album that they were record there and then. And it was filmed by Michael Lindsay Hogg. And a documentary was released called Let It Be a smaller one than what's on Disney Plus now, showing the band pretty much in crisis. And what this documentary shows, and it's been lovingly put together by Peter Jackson, is that the Beatles, although in a time of transition, were getting along a lot better than we've previously been led to believe. Sure, there are tensions, but there's also a lot of joy when the four of them are together in the room. I absolutely adored this because it's, you know, one of those musical moments you want to be at, like, you know, Bob Dylan going electric or Amy Winehouse singing in a church in Dingle. There are just certain moments you wish you could be there on. And the magic of this documentary is that you're really with the Beatles. You feel like you're in a recording studio with them. This footage lay undiscovered for a long time and it's been lovingly restored. You know, some of the audio has been boosted. It's an incredible document and there's some amazing stuff going on here, like George Harrison walking out and saying, I'll see you in the club, lads, and coming back the following Tuesday. It's Yoko sitting on amps. No one's really sure why she's there. Uh, but Paul McCartney seems more warm to her than anybody. Linda McCartney is there. There's all sorts of stuff going on, but the beauty of it, more than anything else, more than the Beatles' intrigue, 
is just watching them literally write some of the greatest songs of all time on the hoof. You have them working Let It Be and Cross the Universe, and they're literally writing it on the spot. They have the mammoth task of trying to record 14 songs in 21 days before Ringo has to go off and film a movie. I just thought it was glorious stuff. Now, the caveat is... I think this will only appeal to Beatles people because it is four guys sitting around. But if you're on the Beatles boat, which a lot of people are, I think you'll love this. Now, I'm far from objective on this. I got the Beatles anthology on DVD a long time ago, and I literally went away for 24 hours and watched the 12 hours of it pretty much in one sitting. I was like I was in a a Beatles den, the equivalent of a crack den, except it was a Beatles den. So this was manna from heaven for me. And I think if you're a Beatles fan, you will really, really agree. And it's a lovely antidote to the story of this time in the Beatles' lives that it was all rancor, because it really wasn't. And a lot of the time when John and Paul were looking at each other and singing at each other, I don't think they were ever happier in their lives. So this is absolutely wonderful stuff. It's on Disney Plus. Do let me know if you might have got a chance to have a look at it yet. John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle, or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. I want to quickly tell you about a new release this week called The Unforgivable. It stars Sandra Bullock and it's based on that ITV crime drama Unforgiven which maybe they changed because of the Clint Eastwood movie. It's a Netflix movie. It's getting a cinema release this weekend for a few weeks, and then it will be on Netflix on the 10th of December. And what it is, if you know that story, it's the action moves to Seattle this time, and Sandra Bullock plays Ruth Slater, who has been sent to prison, and the movie begins with her getting out of prison after 20 years for shooting a policeman. And she did so in a very unusual moment where it doesn't go into specifics at the start but she was basically being evicted from her house anyway she goes to jail for 20 years she gets out and she's obsessed with tracking down her only family member who was her sister kate who was put up for adoption after she went to prison now what i really like about this is sandra bullock i mean she may be going for an oscar but she gives a great performance this is not the sandra bullock of miss congeniality in that she is dark She seems quite downtrodden and she does that very well as a person who's really struggling but has this obsession to reconnect. I thought she was great in it and I thought it was a really meaty thriller slash Schumann drama, very entertaining and it might sound a bit dark but it wasn't. It was quite propulsive viewing. You stuck with it the whole way. I really enjoyed it. If you're looking for, as I say, meaty, that's the key word this week, uh, drama, a meaty movie to watch this weekend in the cinema, you could do a lot worse than The Unforgivable, starring Sandra Bullock. Now, last week, great reaction to Benedict Cumberbatch and Kirsten Dunst. We talked a lot about The Power of the Dog, and we will a bit again this week. More of that in a minute. But I just want to tell you about Benedict Cumberbatch's next movie, which is going to be in cinemas on the 1st of January, New Year's Day. It's called The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne. And it's no surprise, he's great in it because he's great in everything. And this is a, I guess it's a change of pace for him, but he does that very well. It's the extraordinary true story of the eccentric British artist, Louis Wayne, who I'd never heard of up until I saw this movie. And that's who Benedict plays. And he was this artist whose playful, sometimes even psychedelic pictures of cats helped him transform the 
the public's perception of cats. And it moves from the 1800s to the 1930s. And we follow his incredible adventure and a kind of inspiring adventure. He was an unsung hero and he seeks to unlock the electrical mysteries of the world and in so doing better understand his own life and the profound love. And it really is a love story as well that he had for his wife, Emily Richardson, played brilliantly by Claire Foy, who we know, of course, from, I suppose, most notably, The Crown. It's a really good movie. And I have five pairs of tickets to give away to a special screening of it, which is taking place next Thursday, December 2nd, 6.30 sharp, in the wonderful Lighthouse Cinema in Smithfield in Dublin. Now, if you would like to attend, most importantly, please do not enter this competition unless you can be at the Lighthouse Cinema in Smithfield in Dublin on the 2nd of December at 6.30 sharp. You do need to show a COVID vaccination cert at the cinema. So that's also another important caveat. Those two caveats aside, we would love you to come along. So you can enter by simply texting the word Louie, L-O-U-I-S, to 53106. Or you can email us, email the word Louie to screentime at newstalk.com. So five pairs of tickets to the electrical life of Louis Wayne this Thursday, the 2nd of December. You can text us 53106 or you can email us screentime at newstalk.com. And on Monday morning, the wonderful Anne-Marie Kane will pick five winners. Now, last week on the show, we talked a lot about the new movie, The Power of the Dog, which is in cinemas now and will be on Netflix later in December. It stars Benedict Cumberbatch and Kirsten Dunst. We talked about it a lot last week because we had Benedict Cumberbatch and Kirsten Dunst on the show. Benedict Cumberbatch plays this very mercurial, dark figure on a ranch in the 1920s who's living with his brother, played by Jesse Plemons, on the ranch. And... They have a strange and strained relationship, as brothers often do. And then Jesse Plemons' character marries and brings into their house that they share. They share a bedroom, Kirsten Dunst. And a lot of psychodrama unfolds. Benedict Cumberbatch is immense in it, as is Kirsten Dunst, as I told you last week. Now, I want to bring you another interview from The Power of the Dog, because I suppose the catalyst for most of the action in the movie is the arrival of Kirsten Dunst, and in particular, her son, who's played by a very young Australian actor, Cody Smith-McPhee. Now, he comes into the house with Kirsten Dunst, and he's a very gangly, effeminate young boy called Peter. He spends most of his days crafting paper flowers and sketching dead animals and he really doesn't want to be in this house and Benedict Cumberbatch's character is quite bullying to him but then they reach a kind of different place uh, and it moves on and in a way McPhee's character becomes nearly the central character and he is brilliant in it. Now Cody Smith McPhee is started acting when he's 10. He's only 26. He's been in all sorts of roles at a young age. He was most famously in his early career, the boy in the movie, The Road. He was in Let Me In. He's been in X-Men movies. He's been in an Eddie Murphy movie, one of my favorites called Dolomite Is My Name. A fascinating young actor. And I should mention, there's been a lot of Oscar talk about his portrayal. And I certainly think he's going to be nominated for a Best Supporting Actor. He may even win, but he's certainly going to be nominated. Anyway, take a listen to this. Your character in this is fascinating because when I first meet him, or when we first meet him, we almost feel sorry for him and he's somewhat downtrodden and, and not to give a spoiler, but 
as it goes on, he's probably the most confident person in the whole movie uh, and, and the person most in touch with who he actually is and the strongest character maybe and, and the yeah. least bedeviled by devils or whatever. Is that how you saw him, not to put words in your mouth? No, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the main things that attracted me to the role and I guess the script overall, his his placement in, in all of it and the whole arc that the story expresses. Um, and I, I saw it as for, for an actor, it was a challenge, but as a piece, it was extremely poetical and it was mm. it was a masterful work of, of writing. Mm. Um, to, to realize that this character actually stays so grounded and rooted in who he is, but it's our perception of him that, that changes and dances around him. Mm. And it's that perception that tells the arc, that tells the story of him. Um, it's not really him that's expressing some kind of transmutation throughout the whole story. I think that's wonderful. That's not something I've experienced in cinema before. So I wanted to take on that challenge. And um, yeah, uh, with the help of Jane, I feel, I feel I pulled that off. <laughs> you certainly did. And it's a very good way of putting it. He doesn't change. Our, our perception of him changes, you know? Absolutely. You know, I've been talking to your other co-stars just beforehand, uh, Kirsten and Benedict, and they all had kind of stories about things they had to do from perfecting their whistling to learning the piano to mm. Benedict, you know, getting quite down and dirty with animals and doing all sorts of stuff. Did you have to do a lot of stuff you hadn't done before? I'm sure. I mean, that's one of the, the beauties of my job is we're always picking up little bits of each art but always to the point where we never master everything so we, <laughs> we know little bits of everything yeah um i don't know if that's a help for for anything at all but um yes for this i had to learn quite delicate um and time consuming things in terms of his uh what was it his journaling and mm. um you know how he would cut out small pieces of you yeah. know, imagery and paste it in his journal and you know, making the roses was one of the main parts. Mm -hmm. So for me, it wasn't such kind of brute force, nature, welding type stuff. It was more, um, it was more a test of my patience and to kind okay. of slow down and to be okay with, you know, this, this world of isolation that Peter lives in. And in mm -hmm. fact, he dwells and flourishes in. So yeah, it was more of a, a mental thing, if anything, you know, okay. to put roses together. It's it's hard, but after you master that, it's it's the ability to continue that throughout a day and just be okay in that world, you know? Yeah. You haven't kept that on as a hobby. You don't little away at roses. <laughs> My patience didn't string on that long. Okay. Did and did you have to learn how to ride a horse or did you already know how to do that? I previously knew how to ride a horse. There had been a couple of Westerns that I'd, I'd done before, but uh, I would say that riding a horse is not as, you know, you can't, it's not as like jumping on a bike again. So, mm. I mean, I did have to like relearn it and um, yeah, yeah. It was something I definitely had to relearn, but that if anything was, was a beautiful experience, you know, especially in a place like New Zealand, you know, just wake up very early in the mornings, being a, in a grassy field and, ride beautiful horses it was, it was lovely yeah well obviously you're biased about new zealand from being that part of the world <laughs> but uh it, it's incredible though how new zealand can you know it was middle earth it, it was all sorts of places and now it's doubling for montana it's just it's an incredibly no, it's, beautiful it's country fascinating. it's a very versatile landscape and um even though it's quite small in its scale it, it's actually that which makes it so versatile. I mean, you'll go from rocky, rigid mountains like you would have seen in Lord of the Rings, as you mm. said, but then, you know, 20 minutes away from that, there's crystal clear lakes. It's, it's a beautiful, it's a really stunning place, but I am biased. 
Yeah. Well, no, you're right to be. You're right to be. Uh, t- tell me this. I'm sure you're not the type of person who sits around Googling themselves. But if you did, you would see that people are talking about Oscars for this uh, and for you as well. Is that something you just have to not engage with at all in your own head just because yeah, it I mean, probably I'm doesn't do that. anyone any good? I've heard the echoes of that. And if anything, I'm absolutely humbled by it. You know, I've been doing this for a very long time and I've been giving equal dedication and passion to every role that I've had the um, opportunity to play. So if anything, it's a lovely surprise. It's a beautiful shock to, to you know, wake up at, at each festival to, to, to this idea and to a bit of this buzz. But um, as you say, I don't want to feed into it too much. I don't necessarily want to get my hopes up. You know, what, whatever it progresses to, if it's buzz, if it's a nomination or if I one day win mm-hmm. from this or something else, you know, each one of those steps is a token of appreciation along the way. It's a nod to, to my journey. Um, and so I'm, I'm very proud of that. And, you know, I started this journey with my father and I'm sure that brings a tear to his eye to, to see that this has all happened quite fast. So mm. this is a, this is a very warm moment to me. It's definitely a landmark. Yeah, good. Listen, you mentioned other roles you've done and I, another Netflix movie, I, 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 you know, a, a kid in the 80s in Dublin and Ireland, we just adored Eddie Murphy. He was like yeah. this god. Uh, and you had a small but significant role in Dolomite Is My Name. And I, I've actually spoken to one or two other people who were in that movie. And I just, I always got the sense that was just a fantastic movie to be on because Eddie Murphy was back showing the world that he could be, you know, incredible the way a lot of people always suspected he was what was that experience like for you you have a great intuition because it was it was a really joyful experience and as you said you know a lot of the other ensemble they were uh, some amazing people to work Mm. with and just um on their feet with the comedy and and so quick uh quick-witted that it was a very positive set to be on but you know as you said where you come from and I think it's same for us I think it's same internationally I mean yeah. Murphy is a, is a god at what he does through master and uh it shows that it still holds up today you know to to be there and witnessing what he does after watching you know all of his amazing works mm. as I was growing up it was a it was another landmark it was another really cool moment for me but um yeah I, I'm glad I just got to be a part of that and listen finally I guess you are the definition of of a childhood star you started this or a child actor you, you started it very young did you you know they they phrase it on the internet where you find all the information about everyone yes. that you dropped out of high school right so that's a yeah. that's a rough way of putting it but did it's you just rough. get to a point in school and say enough of this i know i want to be an actor thank you for reiterating that i guess that is a better um lightly placed way to put it mm. and it's a bit more rational and it's that um yeah it just got to a point where you know the acting was was escalating quite quickly you know something that started as a hobby as i said between me and my father something that we did against the grain to be creative and take on opportunity um escalated quite quickly and i found a great deal of passion within this world so it only made sense actually, you know, I didn't even drop out. I started tutoring and I just had, basically I did homeschooling and, you know, changed to a couple of schools in the States and things like that. But if anything, this kind of in, you know, when you do homeschooling, it enforces um, whatever you're truly interested in and a bit more hands-on approach. So mm. it actually gave me a great strength to dial in on these things in which I felt I wasn't adequately, adequately being taught in a public school and, you know, um, in the, kind of middle income area that that I came from in Australia so I take my hat off to that and um, yeah I 
it's it's definitely a different approach to, to a lot of the other kids that I grew up with, but um, no lesser, no more. Absolutely. You seem pretty well educated to me. Well, listen, I, I better wrap. The, the movie is fantastic and you're fantastic in it. So thanks a lot, Cody. Thank you very much for your time. Do many of the calves die from wolves? It's always a few that get tore up or hamstrung or die of anthrax, call it black leg. You know, you talk like a big troll of record. You know that? No. I didn't know. Yeah, well, you do. Did Bronco Henry teach you to ride, Phil? Yep. He taught me to use my eyes in ways that other people can't. Take that hill over there. Most people look at it and just see a hill. Where Bronco looked at it, what do you suppose he saw? A barking dog. The hell, you just saw that now? No. When I first came here, see, it looks like a dog with its jaw wide open. You, you just saw that? That's Cody Smith-McPhee opposite Benedict Cumberbatch in the new movie, The Power of the Dog, which is in cinemas now and will be on Netflix from next Wednesday, the 1st of December. And of course, that's directed by Jane Campion. And you heard me there talking to Cody Smith-McPhee, a great young Australian actor, who I think is certainly going to be nominated for Best Supporting Actor Oscar. Uh, He may even win it. We'll see. What else might be in the mix come February, March? But anyway, up next, we go to the moon. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy. Now, another new release this week opening in select Irish cinemas is To the Moon, a beautiful and I suppose poetic cinematic ode to, well, the moon, made primarily from international cinematic archive in combination with, I suppose, kind of literary pieces and original photography of moonlight filmed all over the world on five continents. And in a way, it's a meditation on what the moon means to humanity and how it can be wonderful and how it can be scary and fragile. It's a remarkable work. It's by writer, director and editor of the piece, Tygo Sullivan. And I have to claim a vested interest because in my misspent youth, I spent many a night howling at the moon with him on the wild streets of Stony Batter. But that's for another day. Ty, how are you? I'm very well, John. Thanks very much. Listen, this is a, a remarkable film and not like anything else I've seen in a while or you're likely to see in the cinema anytime soon. So I know it's a very obvious question, but why did you want to make a piece, a movie about the moon? Um, it's an interesting question and I keep coming, keep getting asked it and I'm kind of inclined to make up some lie like I was <laughs> ca- kayaking across Loch Ein one night and it came to me in a vision. But unfortunately, it's nothing as poetic or dramatic as that. Um, I think there was just themes and ideas that were rattling around in my head. I think any artist or filmmaker is kind of exploring certain ideas and constantly on the lookout for something to hang it around. Um, so I was interested in sort of timelessness and our mm. relationship with people, you know, going back centuries and um, life and death and love and many things. And it just struck me at some point that the moon is a canvas that humanity has used to explore all of these things and not only has it done so, but it's done so for millennia. Um, and it just seemed like the ultimate kind of space to to make a film around, you know? Yeah. Uh, 
And it's funny that you say that because what you come away with from the movie, well, you come away with lots of things, but one of the things is, and it seems very obvious when you say it, but your your movie reinforces it, is kind of the timelessness of the moon and the spacelessness of the moon that we all, we've been sharing that moon with our ancestors going back thousands of years. Like that, was that part of, was that in your head? Yeah, that like I say, that was kind of the attraction. Once I sort of had the idea, was to that the the idea of sharing something with not just people around the world, but people across time. You know, almost everybody who's ever lived has had an awareness of the moon on some level, um, and probably some sense of wonder looking at it. And no more than ourselves, like if you come around a corner and see a giant moon hanging in the sky, the first thing you do is to whack the person on the shoulder next to you and go, look at the moon. Um, you know, the sense that we share that and it's something that that we love to share. Uh, and I think noticing that made me really think about our sense of communion with people down through the millennia. And that's a really powerful idea to work with, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I have a three-year-old mm. uh, and he's obsessed with the moon. And, and when it's not there, he's like, where's the moon? And the days when it's still in the sky in the daytime, he's he nearly loses his reason, you know? And it's I'm sure it's been like that for thousands of years, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For almost every three-year-old who's ever lived, you know? Yeah, not that your movie is, is directed towards three-year-olds. I want to clarify that. What I also love about the film, and I'm sure everyone says this to you, is it's a real cinema lover's piece because you have this incredible archive of movies from russia albania south america all over the place and i found myself you know someone with an interest in the movies of going oh i'll have to figure out what that movie is from and some of the stuff you get people saying from movies from 50 and 60 years ago about the moon is is absolutely remarkable was it a real trawl to get this stuff or was it you know you know your movies you're a cinephile i guess was it in your mind always or did you have to go deep and deep to find all this stuff um, I suppose there's a couple of phases. Like when I when I alighted on the idea in the first place, I was kind of running through my own mind as to, to what movies I could draw on. Um, and there was enough there to convince me that there was a film to be made. Um, but then it was a case of, of going way beyond what I know, which is, you know, limited um, and working with archive researchers, film scholars, people who know Estonian film really well mm. or Albanian film really well and just connecting with them and saying, what do you have? Um, and almost everybody took the ball and ran with it. You know, people seem to really respond to the idea and bring me bring us uh, material that we never would have found, you know, obscurities yeah. from the Estonian National Archive, for instance. Um, and so yeah, it was a, and that in itself was a, a wonderful learning experience for me because suddenly you find yourself realizing how little you know about mm -hmm. cinema outside of your own narrow canon, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I had the same feeling watching it. Tell me this, you know, there's scenes I mentioned as well of shot film where it's just moonlight and we're, we're seeing glorious moons above forests and above oceans and above deserts. It's beautiful. And at times I was even thinking of the two moons in Star Wars, like that's how mm -hmm. evocative some of the shots are. Did you just go out and film all that on different continents or was some of it sent to you or how did that work? There's a combination of the two. So, I mean, some of it was shot from my own back garden and other parts of it were shot in the desert in Oregon. Now, I never knew there was a desert in Oregon, but I found out. Um, and 
the way it started, uh, I had intended on shooting a lot of it myself. Um, but then when I was developing the project, there was a solar eclipse happening in the Midwestern United States. Um, and I could have gone if I had spent a lot of money and gone and then found it to be cloudy. And that would have been the world's worst waste of money. Um, so I found somebody in America, a young man called Sam Hamilton, um, who was based in Oregon, I think. Um, and he volunteered to go out up into the mountains and film the moon's shadow kind of plunging a beautiful old landscape into darkness. Mm. Um, and that kind of opened up. I mean, he went off and did that and sent it back to me. He shot it on film, so it had to go off to the lab and then it had to come to me a couple of weeks later. And I looked at it and it was beautiful. And not only was it beautiful, but it was beautiful in a way that I never would have thought to do. Um, and that kind of opened up a way of working that really captured my imagination because like we were talking about, the moon is very much a shared thing. Mm. So finding people around the world and saying, what do you see? What do you see in your wilderness when the moon rises? Mm. Um, and would you mind going out uh, with a camera and and capturing that for me and sending it back? So I wasn't able to direct them as such. We would have long conversations about the project, about what I was trying to do, show them poems that I liked, songs that I liked, and kind of get the idea of the film into their head. And then they'd go off and they'd shoot something and they'd send it back. Sometimes it would be terrible. But more often than not, uh, it would be wonderful. And it was just a really interesting way to work yeah. um, of drawing on other people's, you know, because nobody cares what Tiger Sullivan thinks about the moon. It's all about what do we as, as, as humans think about the moon? That's what I wanted to make the film out. Of. Yeah. And I should say for listeners that we see the moon, you know, the moon always looks the same, yet it looks completely different. But we mm. see the moon in different guises and that it's, you know, it's a way to show lovers' faces. Sometimes it drives people a bit nuts. Sometimes it's scary. There's maybe a piece in there about colonizing the moon and all. So you really have this sense of the moon being this constant, but also it's so many different things to different people. Hmm. Yeah, and I think that's what's interesting about it. You know, there's a there's a metaphor there, I suppose, that the the moon is almost like the cinema screen. You know, this mm. kind of silvery reflective material. You know, it's a canvas uh, on which you can project pretty much anything, um, and that is, it's a canvas for the human imagination that goes way, way, way back beyond the the start of cinema. Um, yeah, and that in itself is interesting because you know we need something to to bounce our ideas off, and the moon has been there forever, so it has it has manifested as so many things to different people. Yeah. So, and I guess that's that's what interests me. You, you touched very briefly on the idea of colonizing, um, and I'm not a fan of the moon landings for that reason because in a way the moon landings and NASA and everything like that kind of obliterated so many of the meanings and so many of the themes that we associated with the moon. So it became the first thing that people thought of when mm. when the moon came up in conversation. And I guess I just wanted to look past that, you know. Mm. Well, that, that's fair enough. I was disappointed, though. There was no Elliot and E.T. going past <laughs> the moon. But anyway, you can't have it all. Listen, no. it, it, it's a fine piece of work to the moon. I have to ask, just based on this, I'm obviously I've known you a while, but what what's next? What are you working on after this? Uh, I just finished filming uh, the next feature in North Clare. Uh, so I just finished the other day, actually. Um, and that's my first foray into fiction 
films, okay. I guess. But it is, it's, it's kind of a funny one in that it's, a, it's an archive-based film. It's kind of essayistic in tone again, um, but it's, I've kind of written it so that it, rather than it being my ideas, the ideas are coming out of the mind of a fictional character who's an older woman who lives alone by the sea. Um, so, yeah, it's quite complicated when I say it that way, but it's, <laughs> it's more straightforward than that. Okay, well, we will wait and see. In the meantime, you can go and see Tyg's latest movie in select cinemas, To the Moon, on the 26th of November, and it is well worth a watch. And not like anything out there at the moment, it has to be said. It's writer, director, and editor Tyg O'Sullivan has been talking to me. Thanks a lot, Tyg. Thanks, John. Now, I should mention that To the Moon won the Dublin Film Critics Award at the Dublin International Film Festival. Up next, Mary Kennedy on her favourite movie. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. I'm John Fardy. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone well-known about their favourite film. Mary Kennedy is one of Ireland's best-known TV presenters, having fronted a variety of television programmes from Open House to perhaps most notably Nationwide. Although no longer fronting Nationwide, she remains busy with various projects and only recently published a book with her sister Deirdre entitled Journey to the Well, Connecting to the Celtic Ways and Wisdoms. And despite that busy schedule, she's found time to chat to me about her favourite movie. Hello, Mary. Hi, John. Nice to talk to you. I I will always talk about my favourite movie. It's just something I love talking about and love recommending it to people because they're never disappointed. Well, listen, uh, you've set it up. Away we go. Tell people what your favourite movie is. <laughs> OK, so my favourite movie is Funny Girl with Barbara Streisand and Omar Sharif. And I saw it when it came out first. I think um, it was about 1969. I'm not actually sure but it was that time um that kind of time frame and I was at that stage I was 15 so I was well ready for a nice romantic movie (laughs) (laughs) it's a musical uh okay so it's romantic it's the story of this um Jewish girl from uh the the lower east side of New York and meets this absolutely gorgeous uh gambler uh, but and she's in the the Ziegfeld Follies. Um, she's just a beautiful person. She's got a beautiful voice. Now the story is very romantic, but for me, what kept me going back and back to the movie is just the powerhouse that is Barbara Streisand, both as an actor and also um, with her with her voice and with her singing. She, it is just amazing. I went to see it once in the first time, and then I insisted on bringing my mother to see it. And then wow. I brought godmother to see it. And oh, I just I just love it. And one of the outfits that Barbara Streisand wore in that movie is actually in the, the Newbridge Museum of Style Icons. And I was doing a piece for Nationwide uh, a few years ago, and I got to try it on, and I felt like <laughs> I felt like Fanny Bryce. I really did. It was fab. Wow. Now there's a lot to unpack there. So let me just check a couple okay. of things. For, there's a lot of younger people who mightn't have seen that movie. So my understanding is, you know, Barbara Streisand. This was her first. Uh, Sir, I think it was her first primetime role and apparently there was a bit of they weren't sure if they wanted to cast her and all but from what you're saying she carries this movie and then some both with her acting and that gorgeous voice right yeah, she has an amazing voice yes uh, it was followed quite quickly after by um, her she was in Hello Dolly but mm. 
And I was really looking forward to that because I felt, oh, this is even going to be better. But no, Funny Girl is uh, is is just it's a classic as far as I'm concerned. The costumes are beautiful. Uh, it's also very funny because mm. she she felt she wasn't good looking and all these Zigfield follies, they're, they're kind of showgirls. They were with beautiful feather boas and costumes. And she had to uh, sing a song because she had the best voice um, about being so beautiful. I am a I am a beautiful swan and she just couldn't do it straight. So she put a pillow up her costume and um, <laughs> she pretended she was pregnant and she kind of made really funny um, facial expressions and her voice. And apparently uh, Zigfield, because it's based on a true story. Mm-hmm. Well, Furious, 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 furious. But by that stage, um, he I, I think he sacked her or suspended her. It's a while since I've seen the film, but she then met uh, Omar Sharif and uh, she fell totally in love with him and she followed him across the world. There's an absolutely fabulous moment where he leaves and she just, um, contrary to her mother and all her kind of clucking hen friends advice, she decides she's going to follow him. And she's on this boat and she sings this song don't rain on my parade and it is an anthem an anthem for for women be they young or old i think young women should see this they would really be impressed by um you know because the the lyrics are really important it's um you know i'm going to live and live now uh, get what i want i know how uh, all of those things, uh, one roll for ho- the whole shebang, one throw, that bell will go clang, eye on the target and wham, one shot, one gunshot and bam. So it, there's a kind of, you know, I don't want to say it's a feminist prototype, but it's it's putting, you know, ladies first, young or old. Then. Well, it's uh, it's not actually a, a hugely feminist thing because she chases this man all around the world and he okay. doesn't well. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps you know, I'm reading too much suave, into it. Very sophisticated. He likes playing the poker tables, the roulette tables, and uh, yeah, she just falls hopelessly in love with him. And yeah, okay. Well, well, that happens as we know. Yeah. And listen, you mentioned you know showing it to your mother and godmother and extended family. I always think that's one of the lovely things to do with movies you adore. Show it to the people in your life that you adore, so to speak. And does it always get a positive reaction? Oh, no, it didn't get a very positive reaction from my mother. <laughs> Grandmother, no, no, no. They felt it was a tiny bit risque and she shouldn't, you know, be throwing herself at this man. Um, but I did also show it to my two daughters. My, I have a daughter. Well, they were maybe in their, uh, Eva was in her 20s and Lucy would have been in her late teens. They liked it. They liked mm. it, what it was for this really uh, powerful woman. Um, and she just has such a fabulous voice. I mean, I'm a big fan of her voice anyway. Uh, uh, they they appreciated it. My mother, no. <laughs> she <laughs> well, sat through it. <laughs> That's fair enough. Well, look, that is uh, beautifully described. Can you remember, incidentally, which cinema you saw it in? It was probably the Savoy because that's where that's where there weren't there wasn't a massive um, selection in those days. It was the Savoy, yeah. Yeah. Okay. In uh, O'Connell Street in Dublin. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, well thank and you. Then, for, then, yeah. then, my Go aunt, on. my godmother. I do remember this. Uh, I had forgotten this actually, John. You're you're uh, you're stirring up some very nice memories for me. She bought me the LP. Uh, now I know LPs are uh, fashionable again, but they were just like gold dust back then. And we played it in uh, my granny's house. She played it with me on the the the, the record player. And I mean, I, there was a stage where I knew every word of every song in that musical. Yeah. 
Well, that certainly sounds like your favorite movie. You're not yes, just, it is. you're not phoning it in <laughs> by any stretch. And uh, no. thank you for that. I'm going to have to watch it. I, I'm not actually sure if I've ever seen it. I've heard about it. I won't lie to you, but uh, yeah. it sounds like well, I have when to watch you it watch it, weekend. please send me an email and let me know what you thought, because I, I, you know, I, I really think it's a, it's a fabulous film. The costumes are beautiful. The mm. Are beautiful. The mother, you know, the Jewish mother and her friends, their accents are gorgeous. They sit around in a, I don't know if it's a deli or a bar that the, the mother ran. Um, and you know, um, Fanny would come home having done a few gigs um in Radio City or something, and they were absolutely impressed. And then this gorgeous uh man came and you know stole her heart, but then you know, I mean, there was a kind of a, a moment where he said, next. Okay. Okay. Well, look, I have homework for the weekend. That's Funny Girl, Mary Kennedy's favorite movie. <laughs> Listen, let me ask you something. I mentioned Nationwide there and I mentioned how busy you are. It, it strikes me that you're probably one of those people who the idea of retirement is 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 a non-starter or it's not a word we need to use because it seems to me, yes, you might have left Nationwide, but in a way you're just doing different things now, but calling it retirement is kind of, it's quite reductive, it seems. Well, I, it's not that I had a choice. I mean, I didn't <laughs> to retire from Nationwide. I got to the age um, of 65 and, uh, you know, had to leave my full-time job and my full-time job was Nationwide. Mm. Thankfully, um, I have been offered other jobs and I, I embrace them uh, mm. fully. Now, I also embrace not having to be on a, a juggernaut, which is nationwide and, and traveling all the time. Um, the, the, the work that I do at the moment for RTE and also for TG Cahir, um, it comes in spurts, you know, yeah. maybe three weeks of filming in the summer for the Moving West series about people who had relocated to the west of Ireland. Um, uh, then in September, I did two weeks of filming for Guaranteed Irish, which is actually going out on TG Cahar on Thursday nights at nine o'clock at the moment. Um, and that's about Irish businesses. Um, and the book, Deirdre and I wrote it during um, the third lockdown at the beginning of the year. So it's nice to be um, stimulated. It's mm -hmm. nice to, to do work, but it's also nice then to have time to live because, you know, I'm 67 now. I don't want to be working all the time. I have two little grandchildren down in Limerick and uh, I want them, I want to have a relationship with them. I want them to have a relationship with me. So it's a nice combination. And I think the, the pandemic taught us that you have to have a balance. You've got to have um, enough going on to keep you motivated and to keep you sharp, but mm -hmm. you also have to um, have time when you just breathe or when you just enjoy life and enjoy the people around you um and and you know just let it be let it be yeah 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 and listen then we only have about a minute left but quickly and i know it's a long book so it's hard to condense but the book you have out with your sister Deirdre and a journey to the well connecting to celtic ways and wisdom my understanding is it's kind of you know, a book of now, even though it's about the past and that maybe lockdown has brought us to the idea that we need to tune in a bit more to, I suppose, oh. the, the the cycle of life and, and kind of the Celtic calendar. Is that a fair summation of it? Yes, well, it's it's based around the Celtic calendar and the four seasons of the Celtic calendar, but it's really a book. Um, it's all about uh, the, the Celtic traditions and all about lockdown. Um, well, about the pandemic. And it's about um, how we can uh, embrace 
the, uh, the, the characteristics of our Celtic past and help use them to inform um, how we cope with the pandemic. I mean, the Celts were re well regarded as hunter-gatherers, as being resilient, as being courageous, and as being creative. And we don't give ourselves credit as Irish people for how creative we are, how resilient we are, how compassionate we are. Um, so those are the qualities that we explore as part of the Celtic ways and wisdom. But then there are the chapters that talk about, OK, for me, how bad the third lockdown was, how traumatic I found it, and yet how you can, you know, resource yourself to, to come through it. Mm. Well, that sounds like fascinating mm. stuff. Journey to the Well, Connecting to Celtic Ways and Wisdom. I presume that's in all good bookshops. And in all good, good bookshops and would be gorgeous in a Christmas stocking, I think, as a filler. I, I can't argue with that. Listen, I was going to end by calling you a TV institution, but that would make you feel very old. So I'll call you a TV <laughs> legend, if that's oh, a ledge, ledge, yeah. And remind people <laughs> that her favourite movie is Funny Girl. Thanks a lot for talking to me, Mary. You're welcome, John. So, at least I didn't fake it, hat, so. I guess I didn't make it, but whether I'm the rose of sheer perfection, a freckle on the nose of life's complexion, the cinder of a shiny apple of its eye. I gotta fly once, I gotta try once, only can die once, right, sir? Ooh, life is juicy, juicy, and you see I gonna have my bite, sir. Get ready. I'm in love, cause I'm a comer. I simply gotta march my heart for drama. Don't bring around a cloud of rain on my parade. I'm gonna live. Barbara Streisand there from Funny Girl singing Don't Rain on My Parade. And that was the favourite movie choice of TV presenter and author Mary Kennedy. And my thanks to Mary. And as I say, I have my homework. I have to watch Funny Girl and report on what I thought of it. That's it for this week. My thanks to Anne-Marie Kane who helped out on the show. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. You can get in touch with me at any stage. My Twitter handle is John underscore Fardy or you can email me screentime at Newstalk.com. Have a good week. Stay safe and I'll talk to you all next week.